let's say about every like 15 to 20 years or so, there's a real big hype around AI. And this has happened now consistently a few times already. Are we in a time like that now? I think most likely yes, because if you think about something like ChatGPT, there's a real big wow factor. But actually, if you really think about it, it's 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 quite um, underwhelming in how independent from humans it can actually operate. ChatGPT is not some kind of a sentient thing that thinks like a human. It doesn't think at all. Welcome to Personal Finance Cat, where I share my personal take on personal finance. Hi, Carl. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, how are you doing today? Doing good. Where are you based? I'm based in South Wales in the UK. Ah, okay, cool. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you have a freelance website. How did you start that journey? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, I, I started it um, about 10 years ago. And like, not I didn't start this website 10 years ago, but I started my journey 10 years ago um, at the age of 13. Wow. When I decided I wanted to make some money online. Um, you know, after Googling how to make money online, I found freelancing platforms, uh, made an account, um, quickly realized that these platforms just weren't really working right for freelancers. So I actually started my first freelancing platform at, at age 15, um, which I ended up also selling when I was 15. After a few months, um, because I was too young to have a PayPal account and they kept kicking me off. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been involved in the freelancing industry for the past 10 years as a freelancer, as a client, as an operator of, of a platform. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of grew up, went to university and halfway through my final year of university, we were in a COVID lockdown. Of course, COVID has completely changed the way that we work remotely. So, you know, vi video calling, et cetera. And to my greatest shock and horror, when I was looking at freelancing platforms again, I saw that in, in around eight years or so at that point, they had changed nothing, you know? So back back in 2014, late 2014, when I started using them and, and uh, you know, kind of decided they were outdated, they hadn't changed a thing since then. So then I thought, you know, now is uh, the right time to go ahead and start my own platform. Um, and that's when I kind of came up with the idea for Revelancer, which I you know, felt would be an ideal freelancing platform. Um, entered a competition at my university, secured some startup funding through that. Um, also got a grant from Engineers in Business and we were a national finalist for, for them as well. Um, and then a couple of years off, after graduating, uh, I, I secured our pre-seed round. Um, so we raised a pre-seed round from a London-based venture capital investor um launched the platform and now you know we're here a couple of years later we've got more than twenty thousand users on the platform and um you know making a, a difference in the industry that's great is there a focus of your website because i i'm not familiar with this industry but i know of maybe one or two like upwork how is your website different from the other competitors yeah, sure. So I mentioned uh, just now that during the pandemic, uh, you know, video calling is now such an essential part of remote work. Well, the large competitors uh, don't allow video calling. Uh, and that is actually a symptom and they cannot allow video calling either. They also don't allow you to email, to talk on Slack, WhatsApp, any kind of external communication. And the reason for that is because they monetize that platform through commission fees. So on Fiverr, for example, um, the freelancer pays five or twenty percent of their earnings, and the client pays a five percent premium on you know on top of what the freelancer gets, which also goes to Fiverr. So they're in essence getting a, approximately a quarter 
of um, you know every every single piece of work there. And now, if we could video call and we connected on a platform like that, there's probably a good chance we would arrange to pay outside the platform. You know, because the client can then pay a bit less, the freelancer can still get a bit more. We can kind of split the difference. Um, so, in order to stop that from happening, these platforms stop you from communicating in in a um, you know a way that is convenient. Um, they disrupt people's workflows significantly, especially now after the pandemic. Um, so essentially we solve those problems and we do it in a very simple way. We don't charge commission fees and because we don't rely on commission fees, we can and do allow external communication such as video calling to take place. Got it. Oh, that's great. Um, I'll definitely check it out. I think I did briefly look at it, but um, again, I don't really use freelance work, either kind of providing myself or using other people. But as my business grow, I'm sure I will have to do that at some point. So can you talk about some challenges you face? It sounds like you were very technical. You started building website since you were a teenager. But this time around, did you face challenges that you didn't expect? And if so, how did you overcome them? Sure. So I'd say the biggest challenge for me for the longest time was simply a lack of funds, which kind of you know, growing up um, has been, uh, you know, was kind of an annoyance. Um, but now I'm very grateful that that's actually, you know, what, what happened for me, uh, because it made me get very creative. And it made me really learn how to do all kinds of things myself. So for example, you know, um, getting people to my website, you know, well, okay, people say buy Facebook ads, buy Google ads, whatever, you know, but I didn't have the money to do that. So now how, how do I do it for free, you know, not for cheap, but for free. Um, so that experience over many years, you know, what was a big challenge at the time, um, but it now puts us in a very good position. So where when we've, we've raised, you know, some fairly uh, significant funding, um, we now can operate in a very, very cash efficient way because of that mindset that I kind of got hammered in, into me growing up. Um, so that was a you know challenge. I mean, in terms of other challenges, there, there have been lots of things along the way, like, for example, fundraising. Uh, this is the first time with this business that I ever um, fundraised, both from you know venture capital investors, but also from, from angel investors. Um, mm -hmm. So that was something I, I had to kind of learn all of a sudden, you know, within months of graduating. Um, but the way I went about that is I uh, worked with people who have done it before, who really know what they're talking about, and then learned from their experiences. And that's what I do with with everything. Um, so yeah, um, definitely faced many challenges, but fortunately, you know, I've been able to overcome uh, you know pretty much all of them so far. Cool, cool. So two points I want to touch on based on what you were just saying. One is it sounds like there were mentors along the way, right? Because you said you would learn from people who have done it before. So can you talk about your mentors and how they have helped you along your way? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, I think mentors are very, very important. Um, I used to just kind of, you know, go around asking people for advice and stuff. I've, I have more kind of formal advisors now um, for Revelancer. But it's, it's just absolutely essential because ultimately, you know, you learn from experience and you learn from your mistakes. It doesn't have to be your experience. It doesn't have to be your mistakes. Um, and, you know, kind of being a, a young entrepreneur, I'm very conscious that my biggest weakness for the foreseeable future is going to be that I don't have decades of industry experience. So the best way that I can sort of, um, you know, uh, account for that 
um, is by working with people who do and then learning from them and sort of factoring their uh, opinions and advice into my decision-making process as well. The second point is you mentioned fundraising. Can you maybe talk a little bit more in depth about the journey of fundraising and what advice would you give to people who want to do the same? Yeah, sure. So I think the, the first question you have to ask yourself is, um, is, is uh, raising investment the right idea for my business? I'd say in most cases, the answer is no, it's not the right idea. In some cases, the answer is yes. I think the, you know, for example, the answer is yes, if your business needs to be at a pretty big scale before you can actually start making money, um, you know, which is very much true for most kind of two-sided marketplaces. So, um, you know, once you've decided that it is definitely the right idea, then I would say reach out to people who have raised, have actually managed to secure investments, you know, for a, kind of a similar-ish business similar stage to you, maybe not too similar business because they might not want to talk to you because you're building a competitor, but you know, maybe something that has similarities, but also differences. So for example, for me, a lot, lot of the kind of advisors and mentors I've worked with have built successful two-sided marketplaces, which makes them very, very valuable, but they're two-sided marketplaces in a completely different niche. Um, so th there's no competitive overlap whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say then, you know, reach out to people like that, kind of um, learn from what they've done, see if they'll be able to kind of help you, um, you know, create a good pitch research, you know, what it takes to make a good pitch deck, um, Y Combinator, some great guides on, on that for free available online. Um, and then basically it's just a case of going out there and practicing your pitch, speaking to people. Um, I mean, there are all kinds of little tricks and hacks and stuff you can use, but ultimately, you know, you, you can't skip over the fundamentals, which is just um, creating a really solid pitch, putting your business in the best possible place, um, and then going out there and, and having conversations and, and, and talking to people. Um, yeah, and I mean, our fundraising journey has, has been quite an interesting one. Um, I remember like at, at the beginning, um, you know, we were actually very fortunate to close our first round very fast. Um, so normally, you know, it can take a, f a few months. It can even take up to a year in some cases from when you kind of open your round to when, when everything is closed. Um, we managed to close our pre-seed round uh, with, within about two days. Um, so within two days of, of calls, we had all of the funds committed that we needed to close the round. And at that point, of course, it doesn't just kind of happen that they, they send you the money immediately. Um, you, you have to kind of go through a process called due diligence. Um, so that took for us about three weeks. Um, that's, you know, largely because I guess one, we got lucky and two, um, we're a, an early stage company. Um, it can, it usually takes a bit longer than that. So it usually takes a couple of months. Um, but at that point, you know, everything kind of goes, goes through normally. So yeah, the biggest thing with fundraising, that the biggest thing that's helped me, I would say, is um, when I didn't really know what I was talking about, I would actively work with people who do know what they're talking about. And now I also know to some degree what I'm talking about. Cool, got it. So how did you get to meet these people? Like, you know, the people who have done it and then maybe in a similar, but not exactly the same niche? Sure, well, kind of all, all over the place. Uh, but the, the main person who helped me uh, kind of prepare for my first funding round, um, I, I went to a, uh, this thing called Summer Startup Week in, in the UK, um, where basically there were these different sort of um, seminars being hosted on different topics. One of the topics was raising investment. Um, the guy who was presenting it is a, is a guy called Dan Swigart. Um, he 
at the time had raised, I think, 700,000 USD for, for his, um, his business. And I really kind of resonated with what he was saying. You know, I knew that that is where I wanted to be. Um, so then what I did is after that, I found him, I reached out, said, you know, hey, I was just listening to your talk, really inspiring, very interesting. Um, then connected with him, we, we had an initial call. Uh, he seemed to you know, be also be quite impressed with what we were doing. Um, he ended up becoming an advisor. He's still an advisor of ours today. And then he helped me prepare to kind of get ready for the first funding round, you know, understand how to reach out to investors, who to reach out to, um, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. It sounds like maybe for your business, you already have kind of a model where you can generate revenue already um, and then it's not relied on the commission. Can you talk about your business model, if you don't mind? Yeah, sure. Um, so our business model, uh, I mean, we've had kind of a monthly subscription fee for freelancers, so an optional plan where they can send more proposals to clients and have a couple of other perks. Um, but actually, in the near future, we are moving away from that and we are just focusing on scaling because essentially any kind of monetization is going to be a friction point to network growth. And what we've found is freelancers like our platform so much, they will happily kind of tell other freelancers about it and be um, evangelists of the product. And what happens if we make it free is that growth really accelerates. Um, so for the short term, we're going to focus on, you know, just, just growth for the time being and then sort of, you know, monetize at a much higher level at a, at a sort of, you know, larger scale. Great. I think you probably partially answered it. How are you marketing your site to attract more freelancers and people who want to hire freelancers? So in, in, a, in a whole bunch of different ways, um, but essentially, you know, a key distinction is, is between um, paid growth and earned growth. And one of my advisors who, who built a, a multi-billion pound public company uh, called Just Eat, um, you know, he was their marketing head. Um, he has really handled this in, into me, right? So uh, paid, paid growth is all good and well, you know, many companies raise funding, they put that into ad campaigns and so on get some results out of it maybe um but that's not the right approach the it, you know the, the best thing to do is to focus first and foremost on earned growth and earned growth is predominantly you know building a product that is so good that your users will be your marketing team you know they would they will um go and actually promote promote the product for you so for example tesla i'm sure you've heard of tesla i'm sure pretty much everyone listening here has heard of tesla um, they've never uh, sort of run an ad, and you know, and in large part that is because people who own them really like the product, and they will tell other people about the product, and they will kind of be evangelists of the product. And there are lots of other examples of com companies doing that really well too. So that is our main focus. I think for most startups, that should be their their main focus. And once you build a product that you know freelancers, well, you know, users, plus <laughs> it's freelancers, but that users love so much um, that they will happily tell other people about it at that point you have kind of your natural growth engine and then you can use paid growth to accelerate it so then you can rate you know run ad campaigns and so on to accelerate what you have there at its core um but only then should you really be investing heavily in paid growth i'd say at the beginning you want to focus first and foremost on building a product that people absolutely love yeah that's that's an awesome point because i feel like that's not maybe emphasized enough since you mentioned Tesla and Elon Musk, what I would say though is that I feel like Elon Musk is 
a marketing tool himself, for lack of a better word, because he's not necessarily that he's doing advertisements per se, but he's on all sorts of shows and he's talking to a lot of different people, even podcasters, YouTubers, etc. I feel like that also gives a lot of um, marketing in and of itself. Yes. And I feel like, is that something what you are trying to do as well? Because I see that you're very active and you have been getting on a lot of podcast interviews. I feel like that's brilliant, but maybe. Yeah, well, <laughs> you agree? I, I, would, I would say not, not certainly not to the same um, degree. But a, a little bit, sure. You know, I I, I like um, kind of spreading the spreading the word about Revolance and seeing if, if people would be interested in it. But also just seeing if I can be useful in in some way from the things that I've experienced and you know the things that um, people have very generously um, taught me. You know, from from their experience, seeing if I can pass any of that on. I think we also talked about your distinguishing factor, right, of Revalancer, but are there any patterns that you see of the 20,000 people or so that use your site? Is there a certain segment of the services industry that's pretty heavy on your website? For example, like technical services related to IT or something like that? Yes. Um, so essentially on, on the platform itself, um, it's focused around anything that can be delivered remotely and um you know it's useful to a business so so b2b services um in terms of the you know yes the main four service uh, sort of categories that we have are uh, graphic design web development media and marketing so um we have some things outside of that like virtual assistants bookkeeping accounting that kind of stuff um but it mainly uh, revolves around those four core you know probably slightly more creative slightly more technical kind of services that makes sense how do you ensure trust and safety right because we all know that the online space is great but then there's also kind of the dark side of the internet so how do you make sure that people feel comfortable about using your site and their privacy and safety are protected yeah sure so i mean one one key thing here is is we use reviews uh, so you can check other people's experiences um first with someone that they've worked with uh, you cannot leave a review on someone unless like you know you have actually worked with them on on the site as well uh, so that's that's mm -hmm. quite key um when you hire a freelancer on, on our marketplace you pay uh up front but we then hold the money in escrow kind of until both parties are happy um so that's an, an, another kind of thing that that helps out um yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, you know, you always need to use your your own common sense um, when it when it comes to dealing with people online. But I'd say, all, all in all, you know, we're we're quite a quite quite a good safe space. Um, the other thing is, we actually insist on people uh, providing a lot more evidence and examples and detail of previous work that they've done than most, um, in fact, if not a, you know, if not all other uh, freelancing platforms. So, um, you know, the, you'll, you'll have a, you'll have the information you need to evaluate someone properly. Gotcha. Have you ever have to handle disputes? It's absolutely happened. The, the rate of them is thankfully very, very low, uh, you know, in large part because we insist so much that people provide all of this detail and evidence upfront. So, so, you know, people can figure out, do I actually want to work with this person or not? But of course, you know, 
um, as things are, there are always going to be edge cases where that just doesn't work out. Um, but fortunately, in all cases so far, you know, we've been able to work with both parties and um, and come to a you know a, a reasonable outcome. Great. On the bright side, do you have any success stories that you want to share? For example, maybe a freelancer really scaled his or her business because they use your website. In, in fact, there are probably too many to share. You know, <laughs> I'm, we we have a, a lot. Um, you know, pe- people freelancers really enjoy using the platform. That's something you know that, like I say, that's very important to me. That's the main thing we we kind of build for. Um, but you know, I, uh, one of um, a, a very kind of big influence within the freelancing space called Alexandra Fasulo uh, has actually started recommending Revelance, and she was kind of known for a long time as as the Fiverr millionaire. So you know, she um, made uh, some some significant money on on Fiverr, um, got significant press coverage as a result of that, um, and you know, she she's now a kind of a an evangelist of Revelance. Uh, which oh, is, wow. is really fantastic. That's awesome. This industry is probably ever evolving and at a very fast pace. I know you're a very young person, so maybe that's helpful and you're technical yourself, but how do you try to stay updated with all the trends and how do you incorporate them into your own website? Sure. Well, actually, on, on trends, that's one thing where I actually think it's... Um, I think it's a good idea to keep an eye on trends, but I don't think it's a good idea to just blindly follow trends. I think that's something that lo- lots of people do, and I think is a mistake. Um, I think you need to be very kind of calculated about the moves you you make as a business. Um, and if it's just kind of, oh, here's this shiny new technology or process or whatever that, that people use, I'm going to integrate it. Like, let's say it's ChatGPT. You know, like, only integrate ChatGPT if you can actually you know, find a good use case for it, which you very well might, but it's not a guarantee um, and you shouldn't just try and force it. Um, so, yeah, in terms of keeping up to date with stuff, you know, kind of following uh, different blogs, uh, news sites and, and, and so on. But also, you know, my main focus is not so much keeping an eye on what other people in the space are doing. It's mainly doing the best job that we can. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not so focused on, you know, watching the competitors, they do something and now we have to suddenly do it too. No, you know, I'm, I'm comparing Revelance to Revelance yesterday. And I think that that is, 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 is the best way to go about it. Great. So maybe let's shift gears a little bit. We have been talking about your website, but just in general, as an entrepreneur, what inspired you to have become an entrepreneur at such a young age? I realized that at an even younger age that uh, I would um, I'd be a horrible employee. I don't <laughs> I don't think that would work out well for me or for for whoever I was working for. So I realized that well, my my only option now is to um, go ahead and, and start a business. So yeah, I realized that at quite a young age. I don't know. I didn't have any evidence at that point to back that up, but my intuition. I. I you know, I, th- I think turned out to be right. So well, was yeah. there any fear or negative voices around you from, I don't know, friends, family? Not really. Uh, my uh, family is is predominantly uh, not entrepreneurial in the slightest. My direct family is, is absolutely not. Um, so this, uh, you know, it's kind of a bit out, out of the blue. Um, I don't really know where exactly I, I, it kind of came from, but I, you know, realized that I 
you know, this, this was really the, you know, what I wanted to do um, and really stuck by it. And I'm very, very glad that I did. Did you know how to code first and then you kind of decided to build a website or did you want to build something because you want to be entrepreneurial and then learn how to code? What's the order? Yeah, so the, the order is definitely, I, I want to start a project now. Let me figure out how oh, to make okay. the project. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I mean, my, my degree is, is uh, in computer science. My, my degree title is um, AI and robotics. So, you know, this is all stuff I'm very, very interested in, but I'm interested in it from the perspective of how can I use this to build something that is going to have like a really big impact in lots of people's lives. Um, and you know just just do something very positive so it's, it's always you know i kind of see it as a as a tool rather than my you know, main kind of area of interest yeah and of course we can't end the show without talking about ai right you also mentioned that even part of what your education was is in ai and robotics so what is your view on the state of the world on ai because there's just so much going on right now and then everybody's talking about it what's your take on ai and is there just like super hype or there's real kind of substantive progress we can make in a short amount of time yeah so it's the answer is complicated um of course <laughs> i th <laughs> i think that um in the immediate term uh, the you know like short short to medium kind of t time frame that there is a risk of automation um, to jobs, but I don't think that it's kind of in the way that the media is is representing it. I think when most people who who don't who aren't very technical think about AI, um, they kind of think that you know it's a computer that is becoming increasingly more human and is then going to replace you. No. Um, that's not the case at all. It's very kind of domain specific. Um, so I think that in the in the short term, you know, things like self checkouts in supermarkets—that's not AI, by the way—but um, that is is a form of automation that can easily take dozens of jobs away from a single store. You know, so it's it's think, things like that I think are more concerning, but they're also a bit more boring. So people are really like talking about it in, in the media. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's difficult. I, I think longer term than that, it's, it's very hard to say. But one thing I will say is that uh, every, I don't even know how many years it was exactly now, but let's say about every like 15 to 20 years or so, there's a real big hype around AI. And this has happened now consistently a few times already. There's a really big hype around AI. People are suddenly thinking, wow, we're here now. You know, we're, we're nearing the point where AI is going to replace humans. Um, and then people kind of realize, actually, hang on, no. You know, we're, we're not really quite there. Um, and then the, the bubble kind of pops, goes away again. Then 15, 20 years later, you know, it happens again. Um, so are we in a time like that now? I don't know. I think the I think most likely yes, um, but there's also a chance that the answer is no. But the reason why I think it's yes, for example, is because if you think about something like ChatGPT, there's a real big wow factor. But actually, if you really think about it, it's 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 quite um, underwhelming in how independent from humans it can actually operate. Um, so, for example, ChatGPT did a uh, I can't remember what exactly the, the field was in, but some kind of specialist medical exam for a doctor who was looking to, spe you know, doctor that's looking to specialize in a, in a certain area. Um, and a part of that exam uh, was basically to 
receive a list of symptoms and then suggest what condition the patient might have. Um, uh, so there were three questions like that. Uh, ChatGPT for the first one, it got the question um, correct, could diagnose the patient correctly. For the second one, it got it wrong. It just said it, you know, said it was a different condition than it actually was. And for the last condition, um, it made up its own condition in response to the list of symptoms and said that the patient had that. So that just kind of goes to show that, you know, chat GPT is not some kind of a sentient thing that thinks like a human. It doesn't think at all. It's basically, you know, how on, on your iPhone um, or just in any smartphone today, there's predictive text. Um, it's basically an, um, an algorithm like that that is trained on 5 million web pages. So it's very good at like sort of finding the next word in a sequence that makes a lot of sense, but um, it doesn't know what it's saying. So in some cases it can say very confident gibberish. And then if you are not an expert in the area, you know, that you ask it to write about, it can be easy to miss that. So is it dangerous in like generating misinformation? Yes, I'd say more, more so than it is in replacing competent people's jobs in the in the short term. Um, but I think that slowly, you know, the hype will die down. People will catch on that actually it's not really that perfect yet. It's not that far. And then we might go through one of these sort of cycles again. Um, so, yeah, I'm of the opinion that life will remain largely the same in the short to medium term with, of course, some kind of with automation becoming an increasingly big issue and taking away jobs. But that's already been the case because self checkouts and supermarkets have existed for, gosh, I don't even know, like 10 years or something. So yeah, yeah, probably more. Yeah, no, that's a great point, because I haven't really heard about the point about the cycle. I guess now you mentioned it, it kind of makes sense, because even back in the 80s, right, that's the year I was born. But Anyway, so they had these robot movies, right? And then people probably were already afraid of robots taking over, but we knew that that didn't happen. And then now with the new technologies that came out that are in the name of AI kind of reignite people's enthusiasm or fear or whatever you call it. So that makes total sense. And I do agree that some of the stuff that AI tools can do is underwhelming because just the other day I was asking Bard, which is the Google AI tool to help me plan a trip that will be the lowest cost. And then they recommended an airline that doesn't even have that flight route. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. But um, I do want to touch on this one aspect, which I thought is potentially very relevant. And that is now we have AI, which in theory can write code for people now with the malicious intent for hacking, right? So previously only real hackers can do that. But then now if you have someone who just is evil minded and wanted to hack the grid system, for example, could that happen? And if so, what kind of danger that might pose to humanity? That's, yeah, so I'd say that, uh unlikely to, to be a big issue. I mean, a lot of um, hacking, you know, what, what na even today, that it, it's kind of very multivariate. It's not so much, it's very rarely actually, so very few hackers actually write their own software. Many kind of use software that other people have created already. Um, a lot of hacking comes down to social engineering. So for example, uh, calling up a 
the support of a business, convincing them you are someone you're not, and then getting them to change the, the password for you and so on. So like that's a big, big part of it. Um, when it comes to this sort of generative AI for, for code, um, it's only as good as the instructions it's receiving. And even then, you know, there are still issues with it, like as in with ChatGPT. Um, but if, if you don't really know very much about what it is you are writing, how it should be done, um, the chances of the output actually being anything useful is very low. The other thing is you'd have to be very um, creative with how you describe what you want, because I know that, you know, tools like ChatGPT will will uh, sometimes say that, you know, hey, this is a malicious request and I'm not going to carry it out. Um, so yeah, I'd say that there are the, I, I don't think that AI is like particularly increases that at the risk of, of that sort of stuff, um, especially in the immediate kind of term. Okay, that's good to know because I don't know enough about coding to make a judgment, but it's very reassuring to hear you say that. But I do like ChatGPT and where the trend is going because I do feel like it's helpful. It's taking, like you said, boring tasks but then now maybe it's brought to another level, right? So it's not just checkouts. In preparing the questions to you, I use ChatGPT. And usually they have pretty good questions. I probably have to round the edges a little bit to take out the irrelevant ones. But I feel like something that's a little bit routine and then I wouldn't want to spend, I don't know, 30 minutes doing it. And ChatGPT can do it in five seconds and they'll spend a couple of minutes just editing it. So I feel like that's definitely a very useful scenario. I don't know how far... It can go in other aspects I haven't really explored enough, I would say. But I do like where this is going, you know, potentially. Yeah, All right. and it can be a, a, a super useful tool. Um, but I, I think that's how people should think about it. It's not going to replace mm -hmm. them. So you still need to give it the prompt, yep. you know. You then still need to kind of edit it at the end. So you're using it as a tool to, to make your job more, more efficient. It's yep. not um, someone is going to use it to replace you, you know. Yeah, exactly. What um, advice do you have for young entrepreneurs who aspire to build their own company? Yeah, so I think it, it kind of breaks down to, to two things. Um, the first thing is cliche, but you know, don't don't give up. Just keep trying. Um, rethink how you know your definition of failure, and kind of see failure as a learning experience, a necessary learning experience to to truly understanding you know how how to do things and how to be successful. And the second part is surround yourself with great people. Always try to be the dumbest person in the room. That doesn't mean dumb as in unintelligent, but it means dumb uh, you know, as, as in work with people who are better at they do than what you would be doing what they do. So like complementary strengths. Um, and that's both with like co-founders, team members, but, but also with um, you know, ad advisors that, that you work with and kind of mentors. So yeah, so surround yourself with really, really good people um and and just kind of you know do something that you're very motivated about and can just keep going with and if you fail and you know oh, oh well you'll learn from it and then next time you've got a better chance of being successful great advice looking ahead what's in your future what do you have planned for for revelancer or yourself do you have other startup ideas in mind <laughs> i have a couple but like you know for for my commitments is absolutely to revelancer um, you know, un un until we get to a much further point, um, uh, you know, exclusively. Um, yeah, in terms of what's next for Revelancer, so we recently launched a beta experience um, that allows freelancers to exchange services with one another. 
And actually the, the pickup for that has been incredibly high. We reached, we, yeah, we onboarded more users in the past about two to three weeks than we did in the first six months of actually launching our original platform. Um, and also people are engaging with it at a very, very high, it's like to a very high level. Um, so that's very exciting. Um, we're kind of scaling that up and then we're going to raise a larger seed round um, later this year. And yeah, I mean, then we'll, we'll kind of go from there. I think, you know, we've got lots of plans, um, but, you know, as with the way things are, um, plans, I think, always change. It's going to depend what comes up in the future. But I think we're in a, in a really good place right now. That's great. Best of luck. So before I let you go, where can people find more about you? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're interested in Revelancer, just, just Google it or go to Revelancer.com. Um, and if you'd like to uh, connect with me, then probably the best place is LinkedIn. So if you look up my name on LinkedIn, I'll, I'll come up. Okay. Sounds good. And Revelancer is spelled? Um, R-E-V-O-L-A-N-C-E-R. It's a revolution and freelancer combined. Ah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Carl, for coming on the show. This has been a great conversation. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a yeah. pleasure. Best of luck for the future endeavors. I'll definitely check out your website. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.